Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. When you work with other people in a code base, at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, you have to merge your code into the main branch. The code should be reviewed before that happens in order to keep quality high on the branch that is being deployed to production and is used to start other branches. In this episode, we're going to discuss best practices when creating a new pull request or PR. In the aftercast, we'll discuss best practices for reviewing a PR, plus what management needs to do to make this process successful. But before we get started, Will, what's been pulling your requests lately? I don't know. Yeah, you're really reaching for that one, huh? I've been looking into some of the WebAssembly stuff that comes with .NET mm-hmm. in the latest version, and there's there's some pretty interesting things in there. So, like, I've been kind of watching Pluralsight videos when I'm doing less difficult work, you know, so I have it kind of going in the background, and I'm I'm pretty interested in some of the things that are that are there because I feel like especially with the server-side rendered model. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but like it runs on the web server and then has like a little area on the client and it will use WebSockets to communicate and send diffs back and forth. And so it's like effectively running on the server, but your client is like a dumb terminal. Hmm. There's some really interesting things you can do with that while not exposing the innards of some of your business logic potentially out on a client site like in the client deployed model of it, which is also interesting. So yeah, that's what I've been looking at. Also, as far as the COVID stuff goes, I think I did confirm that I had COVID last week. I never really got terribly sick, but my sense of taste is shot. And so I was looking and, dude, I've gone through so much Tabasco. It has to be three times as much as normal. Today was my first post-quarantine day. And so I'm like, I want some Kung Pao chicken. So I order it. I go to the, you know, I go to the Chinese place. They know me. Like, I want it extra, extra spicy. Bring it home. I'm disappointed. And these people don't disappoint in that department. I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And so I just like doused it real good in hot sauce. And I'm like, all right, fine. And I started eating it. And I was like, man, it's still not hot enough. But I started having the physiological effects. Like, I started having like the back of the neck sweat and like the shakiness, but I never really tasted the pepper. And I was like, hmm. Uh, that's not a good sign. So apparently I did actually have coronavirus. <laughs> oh, judging by yeah. the lack of taste. Yeah. I just hope it's fixed by this next weekend. Cause, uh, I want to go somewhere good. You lacked taste long before COVID was a thing. Yeah, I know. But like, like taste buds <laughs> taste. <laughs> so how about you? Well, speaking of, of hot sauce and stuff, I, um, Oh, I did a number to myself last night. I had bought some like frozen chicken wings from Kroger that said they were spicy, but I've bought Kroger brand stuff before and it's generally not spicy. Uh, these were. I had a pizza from them that was that was supposed to be spicy and and it was respectable. I was like, dude. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> surprised because I had I had hot sauce with me, but I didn't need it because they were spicy enough. 
the only thing is like it tore my stomach up and I haven't had like stomach issues in so long. I think I messaged you about it. I'm like, dude, this is what normal people feel like when they, they tear their stomachs up. Like, cause it basically felt like the way mine used to feel constantly this low level of inflammation and pain. And so didn't stop me from going about my day, but it was kind of annoying throughout the day. Just being like, that brings up a medical question I have for you. All right. Is it possible for food to make tendonitis happen or make it worse? It can make it worse depending on what you're eating. There are certain foods that uh, can affect the inflammation. So we'll talk about that offline, but, yeah. Now, in better news ish, I ordered a new camera today. Though I had uh, issues with a nameless payment company who I will say is no longer my pal. I'm not your pal, buddy. I'm not your buddy, pal. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew you'd come up with that. I knew it. Yeah. So uh, that happened. We had a bit back and forth, just, uh, and it's their fault, but I'm going to be the one who ends up. Uh, dealing with it because it's an easier process to just deal with it myself than to well, what's the podcast's account kind of yeah <laughs> podcast money yeah so it's it's like yeah just pay us back you know? yeah like let's not involve megacorp in, yeah. in this yeah so it was a bit of a a frustration with them now since this episode does air after the official announcement I can tell you guys something Will already knows this, but I'm going to be taking over the creative media team at church when uh, my friend who is the current creative director, she's getting married and moving away. So I've been in training for that and uh, she's going to make the official announcement in a few weeks, well before this episode airs. So I did this past week get to learn the scheduling software. So I got to schedule people to be photographers and videographers. I really do hope that they get the same kind of thrill I get whenever I see that I've been scheduled. I go, yeah, I get to take my camera to church today. Cool. I actually really do. I kind of do a little happy dance too. I mean, you know, Will's rolling his eyes at me, but... uh, That's my normal state. Yeah. Uh, Other than that, I've just been working on a presentation at work. It's likely going to turn into a podcast episode too, uh, just because it's some good material, but uh, not much coding as we're waiting on customer information. So yeah, it's interesting. So we're just sort of sitting here going, all right, I got one of my guys working on some uh, some design stuff and the other one is doing some setup stuff. And I'm going, all right, I did my bit. Now I'm going to work on this presentation that I've got to do in a few weeks. So that's about it. Saving money is hard, especially when your payment provider sucks. <laughs> true that, true that. Lucas Casales is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but to also take action on that plan so that you can create your best life. Now, guys, investing in financial planning services, it kind of comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey so you can actually pay to get help in a reasonable fashion. Yeah. And Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. 
What that means is he's not here to sell you a product, but to guide you to a better financial situation. And you can catch his podcast, which is Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face. There, he also interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And he has even more stuff available at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Our code eventually has to work with other people's code. While the way we used to do this was much more chaotic, just checking something into the main branch and hoping you didn't screw up. Or not having branches. Yeah. yeah. Dropping in the file system. Or passing around a flash drive. Or floppy. Yeah. Yeah. Zip disk. Zip disk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This might have been acceptable way back when with like annual deployments and stuff like that. But it's not feasible in the current environment with frequent deployments. Also, over the years, we've learned a lot about how to make cleaner, more maintainable code that can be more quickly understood by other developers. The thing is, in order to do this well, one of the best things you can do is to make sure that code meets a standard of quality before it is committed to the code base. While you could just write a coding standard and try to enforce it, that sort of top-down approach isn't the best idea. Instead, you'll find that things work better when the entire team agrees on and protects the coding standards. PRs or pull requests are a great way to do this. Essentially, what you do is you work on a branch until you have a logical unit of work done. Then you push your branch up and start a pull request into another branch. That's either your feature branch or master or the dev branch or something. It's not whatever you're working on, basically. Mm -hmm. When the pull request is ready, one or more of your teammates will review the code and make comments on it or approve it if it's perfect. You should kind of question if it's perfect very often. You know, if they're comments, then you respond to them either by explaining why you did something a certain way or by fixing your code and pushing back up. Since your code is still living on the same branch that you're working on, pushing updates should automatically update the PR so that the rest of the team can see those updates. Once the PR is approved, then it should be merged into the target branch which then triggers your CI builds and everything else you know, downstream. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the things you can do to have a better experience creating pull requests. We're going to focus on things you can do to make it more likely and easier for your team to quickly get to your PR, review it, and approve it so that you can keep moving forward. Now, in the aftercast, we'll discuss what you need to do when reviewing someone else's PR and what expectations management needs to put around pull requests so that the team is effective. So first, and not necessarily most important, but probably still critical, is to keep your PRs small. If you want those PRs to turn around quickly, in other words, where you don't sit there and wait for two hours, two days, or however long, then you need to limit the amount of stuff you change. And you know, people are more than likely going to put off reviewing a larger PR because it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. right? If it's something they can look at in 10 minutes and then approve and go on, they can catch it in between meetings and get it done. If it's going to take them two hours, 
that has to be scheduled. So you just kind of have to bear that in mind that there is a social cost to looking at PRs and try to make that as low as possible for your coworkers so that they can do it more often. And it also kind of depends on like how you have things set up because we typically do PRs like per story. That's sort of the way the culture is set up and the structure is. Ours are uh, per task and then and that's to go into the feature branch and then we do it per story going into the main branch. Yeah, because you guys you guys have it more broken down than you guys have like we just have the feature branch and main branch. So you've got feature or story branch basically. It's just the the story that you're working on that has its own branch. Um, now that said, pushing into that branch, there's usually only one developer working on it at a time. Yeah, so we got multiples and QA. Yeah. So it it definitely very quickly balloons. Yeah, it can, especially when you have like a a team like that. So remember that the difficulty of evaluating code scales at least quadratically with the number of separate things changed. You know, it quickly gets unmanageable when you change a large number of files in a single pull request. I dealt with one from a good friend of mine at work the other day. <laughs> Dude changed like 55 files and it's like all TypeScript. And man, that thing, like I worked on it through lunch break and he's a good guy. He writes solid code, right? So like there's no, like I'm not really looking for much, but you know, like you got to look over it just in case and and also to familiarize yourself with it because you're going to be interacting with it. But that's painful, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it ended up being like lunch break plus about 45 minutes, I think, to get through yeah. all that material. And that that's a lot. And a lot of it was you have one file open and you're like, okay, this is calling this thing over here. This looks a little odd. Let me go look at this other piece. It's also a lot of fun to do in Azure DevOps, like when you're doing it in a web tool because like jumping around is not necessarily the easiest. So it's just something to be aware of. I mean, like in this case, there was there was a pretty good reason that he did it the way he did. But the complexity definitely jumps up quite a bit. The other thing about smaller PRs is that it helps with testing scope. So this is especially true if your QA writes tests on their own. Like they're checking in the tests you know, in parallel to what you're doing. When you do a big PR, they're looking at it going, okay, how do I test this? And it's, it's very, very complex. Whereas if it's just a couple of files, they should be able to figure it out. And making the PR smaller helps them reason about what tests they should write. Small PRs also mean that another developer who runs into a merge conflict with your code is going to have fewer issues that they have to sort out and deal with. I'll also add one thing that I didn't put in the outline. And this is like a little bonus, but if you do quick, small PRs, you are the one that is less likely to run into the merge conflict. So, you know, it's like, it's not really the golden rule. It's kind of like the silver rule is like do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> like that's the way things work with merge conflicts because they suck. And so if you can turn stuff around quickly, it's probably not going to be your problem. It's going to be the dude that kept a branch open for three weeks and decides to check in 400 files. Like that dude's going to have a bad hair day. That's better than you having a bad hair day when you're doing things right. The next thing is to pre-review your code before asking others to review it. Yeah, this is something that uh, that I've seen other people not do. Oh, I've not done it. Oh, I, I have too. I have too. But uh, 
You should look over your code to make sure that you committed everything you think you've committed. It's very easy to forget to add add files to source control. Yeah, and let me do a quick rant. I've had a lot of trouble with Visual Studio 2022 deciding that, hey, this new file that you added, we're not going to add it to source control. It's in the ignore list. I can't figure out why this is happening. I don't know if it's like ReSharper doing something weird because I tend to like, if I build a chunk of something, I build it all in one file while I'm working on it and then I split yeah. it out using ReSharper. And so I don't know if if that's what's doing it or what, but I've had a lot of problems where stuff has not gotten added to source control. And so this hasn't been an issue at work because I'm a little bit more professional with my work code than I am with my mm-hmm. personal stuff. But it's just something to kind of be aware of. Like you may not be pushing up or committing everything that you think you are. Uh, the other thing that can get you is like if you're, you know, especially on Windows 10, where it doesn't easily show you which window has actually got focus mm-hmm. and you think you're typing in Teams and you're actually typing in your code editor right before PR, it's very easy to end up with something in there that does not belong there. Yeah. And then you commit it and check it in and push it up. And then somebody goes, why, why is there this comment about Bob here? You better hope that Bob's not the one reviewing your PR. You want to check these things first and fix it. Yeah. Also, this is a good review of the changes right before you potentially engage in conversation about the code. So you may have written this code and then gone off and done some other things, came back, polished it. This is a really great way to review it before you actually have to have a discussion about it. And Will has in here that uh, if you've been working on your code in between meetings and other interruptions, it's a really great way to like, yeah, I agree with that. That's, yeah, when that's, you're a lead, holy cow, like the the you're on the manager's schedule, but you have to do the maker's job. And this is something that is well worth your time, especially at that level, because you will screw up. It's also a really good time to check for things like spelling errors, code standards violations, you know, those kind of things. You probably do check this before you push an update, I hope. But there's something about looking at the code in a different environment than where you work that makes stuff jump out. Like that's something I I learned writing books is I can take that content and I can paste it into a Google Doc and every spelling error becomes obvious even if spell check is turned off because it's a different environment. Like there's, there's something mental going on there that... I'm assuming is not a mental defect that I alone possess. Well, I'm sure you're not alone in it. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, it, yeah, it is a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's probably some psychological, actual, real reason versus just, you know, Will says this. Probably. <laughs> I read the last two points, dude. You got to read one. Pre checking code to make sure that your code meets standards also helps your reputation with the rest of the team. Like this can make people more likely to look over your PRs quickly because it's not going to be as much work because you've already done it as well. Right. There's nothing worse than looking over a PR from somebody who they're a good developer, but they can be slipshod at times because when you have to call them out on it, like it's a lot of extra work. And so you, you just don't want to create that perception in your team that like, Hey, if I look at this PR, it's, it's going to, burn up a bunch of time that I probably really can't afford right now. Mm -hmm. So next, 
write useful PR header comments and commit messages. Oh my goodness, yes. Actually, our team is really good. We have standards for how to write your PRs and they follow. Oh, yeah. it. It's, it's nice. Uh, we'll talk about mine here in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't ever write a commit message or PR comment that says fixed it or something similarly nondescript unless you're absolutely sure the rest of the team understands what it is and will continue to understand what it is. Like a year from now when they yeah. see it in your IDE as the commit comment on a change. You know, bear in mind that these things hang out for a while, especially commit messages, but your PR header comments are also true of, of that. When someone goes to review a PR, the comments and commit messages express intent. They're basically saying, here's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Part of their job as a PR reviewer is to make sure that the code actually does what you say that it does, which means that you have to actually say something that's provable. Mm-hmm. Fixed it, probably didn't fix it. It fixed something, not the whole thing, right? Like if somebody went into the Windows code base and said, fixed it, I have a set of expectations there that they are not likely to meet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even I'm going there, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The salty. While you should also limit how many separate commits are in a given PR, sometimes you just can't avoid having multiple commits. Each commit should clearly describe what you're trying to fix in that commit. Yeah, like I said, we we do our, our PRs to the main branch per story. So, and then we commit multiple times. I, I try to tell my guys, you know. Do you squash merge? Yeah. Okay. So like, uh, we don't. And, and so like, you can actually see the individual commits later in the IDE. Oh, so that's yeah. real important for us because if you write a bunch of junk, for four or five commits and then, okay, here's the final one. I'm actually going to describe it. Like that's not obvious to an outsider looking at the code, especially mm-hmm. when multiple people have been in there and it's, they're interleaved. Oh yeah. yeah that um, makes sense. I tell them to write good commit messages anyway. So you know why I do it? <laughs> I do it because I can see those commit messages and I can copy and paste them into the PR template in Azure DevOps. That's just a slight bit more laziness. Now, if your team has got more developed processes, it may also be worth having a more involved checklist when PRs are worked you know, to indicate things like uh, unit tests and documentation have also been completed. So my team does this as well. It's like, hey, I ran the unit tests. They worked. I added new unit tests. I've updated the ticket tracking system with the latest. I've done a manual review of this thing. Uh, I've updated the wiki. There's a bunch of different stuff for like our definition of done. And that's in the PR template in Azure DevOps. So when we create a new one, that's in there. Um, And we have a different one for merging master. It's a different set of stuff. And so that's actually been real handy at the level where we play now. It wasn't so great early on because we didn't, you know, we weren't doing that. But it's very helpful, even though I grouse about it the entire time I'm filling it out. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, you know me. Yeah. Um. Next, when you do a PR, you need to focus on a testable, automatic or otherwise, chunk of functionality. A PR that exposes nothing externally is not particularly useful. It's not actionable, except in the very early phases of a new project. 
if nothing is exposed for testing purposes and the intent is not to simply look for regressions, then you probably don't have enough for an actual PR, right? Like somebody does something to, you know, it gets out on a server and then what? Well, I can't prove that this code is worth the crap because nothing's touching it. If you can't do that, then obviously it's not time for a PR yet. The only exception, uh, like I said, is very early in a project. So like if you're going, okay, I'm, I want to make sure the dependency injection works. You know, I want to get that kind of coded out and get that up there and start merging it in so people can try to use it. That may be a little hard for QA to prove, but the devs can prove it on the other end. And they pull it down, they can go, yep, this works. The idea here is that someone can take the completed merged PR and test it, basically that the code works as opposed to just compiling. Right. I guess that puts another (laughs) possible wrinkle in it. If you are updating your framework version or whatever, or your compiler version, then you may do this just to see so you get a validation build. Although I would think you would do that locally, but that's just me. It also goes without saying that you generally should not push a PR up if the code can't compile, transpile, etc. The broken code should be an immediate cause for failure of a PR. Yeah, we we have a process to do that when it's um, basically when you get a PR, it runs the build. Yeah, same here. Validation build. Mm-hmm. Validation build. Another thing is in our in our. PRs uh, in the comments for it, it's required to put in how to test it. We did that on the ticket, but yeah. And we're not using Azure DevOps for ticketing because reasons. Yeah. So we we have it like in the, not not how QA is going to test it, but how the other developers can go in there and be like, a basic, what is this supposed to do? And what are the errors I'm going to get if it doesn't do it? Kind of thing. Gotcha. That's like uh, a lot of times it's all right. I did this so to na- here's how to navigate to the point that I I worked on, and you can go in and check it, or you know run the run the test suite and stuff like that. So you know, and then if it's like oh hey we're we're dealing with this database thing, it tells you, you know, tell them what what part of the database it's a it's addressing too. So but yeah, it's yeah. that's sort of in our standard. It's it's really good because you get a PR and you're like, oh man, I haven't worked on that area of the code. And then you've got, here's, here's what I'm, what I'm trying to do with it. Like what the code's supposed to do. But yeah, it's, and I've seen, I've worked with people who didn't do very good about, they would run the app and be like, oh, Hey, it runs. It goes to that point and it does what it's supposed to do. But then there was like some error that was getting eaten. And so it was never actually making it to the database. Ah, yeah. When it got out, it was like, that's not that's not actually working, guys. And so we had to have a little <laughs> conversation about that. But, you know, it happens. Well, you know, you mentioned the validation build. A lot of times, you know, you do want to make sure that obviously there's the compilation slash transpilation. So if you're doing you know, TypeScript mm-hmm. to JavaScript, your automated unit tests and an automation that checks like your coding standards. If you want to do that, you want those to go through before anybody looks at the the actual PR. And the reason is, is because server resources are cheap. Yeah. Versus a human being that's interrupted. 
a lot of people I know will not even start looking at a PR until it's past the validation build. Yeah. You know, for that sense. reason. So next, mind your diffs. Most of the time during a PR review, people will be looking at kind of a before and after view of your code. Most tools for doing this will highlight changes to the code, whether they're differences, additions, or removals of code. Yeah, and as a result of this, if you do something that interferes with this process, you're going to make your PR harder to deal with. And this is something a lot of developers don't really think about until they're on the receiving end of it. And then they're like, oh, man, that's awful. Like, yeah, you've been doing it to me for two years. (laughs) Not that I've ever had that conversation. Um, This can be a lot of stuff is really subtle. Like if you change even you change things like file encodings, Mm -hmm. a lot of times it'll show the entire file as being changed, even though the text isn't changed. Yeah. So I did this because we added the nullable, like in, in C sharp, you know, you've got the thing where you can have a reference type that is now non-nullable with mm-hmm. the latest version. And there's a header thing that you can put up there to basically say, don't do that in this file. And so I wrote a program that basically went through all of our files and added that header so that we could switch over. Oh, nice. And then we gradually start cutting those out, but I screwed up the file encoding because I wrote it in like five minutes. Mm. And my junior dev ended up taking that part of the thing over and running it and didn't realize until like it was basically going to master <laughs> that that wasn't right. <laughs> Cause it like yeah. it touched all the files as he was looking at it. And then when they had to merge that sucker in, man, that was not cool. And it was really, it was just stupid. Like I should have checked the file encodings and, and gotten that right. And I, I just didn't. So that's the thing that will get you. Another thing that will do it is if you do major changes the way you do white space. So like, you know, if, if you got a guy on the team that's like, oh, a tab should be four spaces instead of two. Yeah. And the rest of the team does it the other way. You have to shut that down because that dude is going to create massive diffs of stuff that doesn't matter and, and waste time. Um, another good example of this is uh, binary files. So if you're changing a Telerik report or you're changing something like that, like most of the diff tools won't actually show you those things anyway. So that's a whole nother conversation. But one project I have worked on early on, you know, we generated a bunch of code for it and it was kind of generated in a fairly arbitrary order. And so Mm -hmm. change between reruns. And that was a massive diff because you're talking a hundred thousand line file, which is another something else I've got to fix on that project. But um, (laughs) it's very easy to get in this situation. You don't realize that, hey, you're making it really hard to review the code. Mm -hmm. So just be aware of this because it can be really painful to deal with in most tools if they even let you try. Yeah. You should also probably adjust your coding standards so that diffs include as few changes as possible. In practice, this is best done with uh, team-wide standards on things like what was talking about uh, tabs versus spaces. Or brace placement. Yeah, brace placement, white space, that sort of thing. The other thing that you should probably do uh, when you have a coding standard is actually try to keep elements in a predictable order. So like you might, if you're doing C-sharp, you might say, okay, I'm, I'm opening up a class The namespace, you know, the usings are going to be inside the namespace declaration always. Then there's a class. There's one class per file. Then there's private members, maybe constructors, 
public properties, public methods, events, I guess, maybe if you're doing stuff that uses that. And they're all going to individually in each section be in alphabetical order. That way, when I add one, it's in a predictable location. And when a diff happens, it's only going to show that piece instead of, oh, I just put this in a random place and the diffing algorithm lost its mind. I don't know if you've seen that happen, but it's like, oh, yeah, you made a two line code change for this little bitty property, but you put it in a weird place. And the thing decided that you removed this other piece and added this other thing and it did it in a block. And, you know, got four or five other properties in there and you got to like look between them. Like it's, it adds a lot of work. So it's, it's really better to do this. And I have a junior dev who actually gives me crap about this all the time because he's like, oh, it ought to be in alphabetical order. And he's absolutely right. But when we're working on stuff and we're pairing, like I don't do that till the end. Yeah. <laughs> and he mainly just enjoys giving me crap to, to be a hundred percent honest. It's not. So next, make sure tests pass before submitting. Your unit test should pass on your machine before you even create a PR. Broken unit tests mean that your code is not complete. In general, the same is true of missing unit tests for new work. Yeah. Of course, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, we don't unit test. Yeah, maybe you should start. Uh, I hate to be that guy, but I'm, I'm that guy. Your unit tests should also be able to be run in your build environment. You know, in other words, in a non-development environment. Because sometimes there will be other dependencies. So like mm-hmm. if you depend on your local file system somewhere in the tests, that's not in the build environment. Like you kind of want that to be checked yeah. before it goes goes ahead. Because there's if you get something like that, that also means there's probably other bad assumptions. Mm-hmm. And you also don't want people to have to trust you that, you know, you said that, oh, my tests all passed. Right. Like they can see that it passed. There's yeah. no asking you about it. Basically, the idea here is that if the code can't be deployed with a reasonable expectation that it will work, then the PR is not ready. And, you know, along the same lines as that, if you don't have unit tests for that section of code, you need to add unit tests. That's just, that's like, if you've been listening to us for any time, you know, you'll know that we're going to, we, we harp on that. Yeah. And, and the reason we do is because the next guy is going to break your code. And not mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And it won't be discovered potentially until it gets all the way out to production. Yeah. And then your code is what broke. So, right. You get the call. Not yeah, think the about it as being defensive. Yeah. Yeah. The final point is that you need to, when you do a PR, you need to engage with people that comment on it. Um, once somebody reviews your PR, you need to be responsive when you reply to it, essentially. Um, this includes responding to comments in a actual reasonable amount of time, not leaving it out there for two days and then coming back. The important point here is that you should respect the time of your teammates. Uh, if someone reviews your PR, has questions, and then waits hours for you to get back to them, it's disruptive to their work and probably yours as well. Now, the thing about that is if you submit a PR at 10 o'clock in the morning and they don't get to it until they get done with whatever they're doing at 11. You may be like, depending on when your lunch is, you may be at lunch. Oh, I will be eating lunch. Yeah. But (laughs) I usually go to lunch around 11. So I'm like, I've had that come in and it's like, all right, well, I'll look at it at one when I get back because I take a two hour lunch break to go to the gym. And you just leave a message and go, I am going to look at it or somebody else will look at it. But what you don't want to do is go, you put the PR out there and it just hangs. 
potentially days. Uh, like I've seen that happen a few times and that's not pretty at all. And it also means that that person, when they go to merge into the, into the master branch or the feature branch, they will likely run into merge conflicts because you waited. Yeah. Right. So you're potentially adding a lot of work on them. If you're the reviewer or you know, you're potentially adding it to yourself. Uh, otherwise, now you should also be careful not to be too defensive about any comments that are left. You're asking for help to code better, and what they're trying to do is help you. Now, what I usually do is, unless it's just like it needs to be seen by like everyone, I will usually send a private message, being like, "Hey, I'm having this issue with it." If it's something that's just like oh, there's like a little typo or something like that. Now, if it's something bigger that's like, oh, hey, this is a teaching point or the rest of the team needs to know this, then I'll I'll leave a comment like that. We also have a much smaller team than you do. Yeah, I mean, we try to do ours fairly publicly unless, like if it's something that's embarrassing, I'll block mm-hmm. the PR and send them a private message. But otherwise, I'll have the discussion right there because there are some seniors that will kind of rove around They'll get bored and they'll be like, oh, I'm, you know, I've got 30 minutes till the next meeting. I can't really start anything. Let me just look and see what PRs are out there. We have people that enjoy that, I guess. I'm not exactly sure what the motivation is, but they'll pop in. And so you could be having a discussion with somebody and they'll go, hey, have you thought about this other thing? And they may be correcting me. They may be correcting another teammate on that. And so making those things more public works better if it's not mm-hmm. embarrassing. No. We also have a couple of guys that just can't spell. And like the people who speak English as a second language spell just fine. It's the people that have it as a first. Yeah, I know a few of those. I went into engineering, so I didn't have to learn spelling. Right. And so, I mean, that's the other thing is we, in a good natured way, will give each other crap. Oh, yeah. On on the pull request comments about that, because it's like, you know, I'm going to buy you a dictionary. It's like, you you know, you seem to think that's going to help me. It's not. Because if you don't know how to spell the word, you can't look it up in the dictionary. Mm -hmm. We have a very popular, like popular across the entire organization. A lot of people know him, uh, Lead, who is notorious for his typos and bad spelling and comments and stuff like that. If he's typing something up like for display and stuff, he does a great job. He really puts the focus in it. But when he's doing comments, he is not focused on spell checking. And it's it's hilarious. Like we'll go through, we're going through some some code. And we're like, well, we know who wrote this by the comments. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we used to be able to do that, but now there's like three or four of them. And <laughs> it's all in good fun, right? Like they'll, because they'll, they'll totally like, if I screw up on a spelling or I use the wrong, I get affect and effect mixed up a lot for some mm-hmm. reason. Like I just can't lock that in in my brain. You occasionally ask me about it and I'm like, and I'll just go impact. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because of that. But, like they'll give me crap if I ever mess up too. So it's not. Oh yeah. Like, yeah oh, absolutely. I thought you were an author. It's like, yeah, I am, but I'm not an editor. Yeah. Yeah. It's lots of fun. So PRs can be nerve wracking, especially if you're early in your career or you're working with a team that you don't know well. Uh, however, it's absolutely necessary if you want to have a clean, maintainable code base that you get this stuff right. Therefore, you need to follow simple rules to make it more likely that people not only review your code, but that the process is as painless as possible for both those people and for you. While making a proper PR has a lot of technical considerations, it's also really a social issue. 
And like most social issues, there's a lot to be said for considering how other people will react and feel when you do something. As a result, you'll be far better off with a consistent PR process that is built around making things as easy as possible for whomever is reviewing your code. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? So yes, pull requests are a form of communication. They're a way of communicating, hey, here's the work I've done and some information about it, about testing it, that sort of stuff. Some of the principles here that we've discussed can be applied to other ways that we interact with our coworkers and people in our lives. For example, when you're talking with others, you want to keep your stories about yourself kind of shorter and smaller. You want to engage with the other people. You know, communication is an interaction. Make sure your tests pass. That was one of the, the points here. You want to fact check yourself. Just remember though, nobody likes the uh, well actually person. So you don't want to don't want to become that good at fact checking. But you want to make sure what you're saying actually has some legitimacy behind it and not just something you read on social media or Googled, did your research. But uh, learning when to speak up and when to remain silent is really a life lesson that few ever get good at. That's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.